Father, oh, we needed that prayer. And what's, what's that promise? Yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow, you're there. Wherever we are right now, Father, you're here. Take these next few moments. Sensitive subject. Let us hear what we need to hear. Make it clear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a sensitive subject. In fact, I want to pick up where we left off with the uh, children's story. When you're in darkness, you really need somebody to walk beside you. You need somebody to be there with you. So, earlier this semester, I'm sitting in a circle of Gen Z university students, all right? We're just sitting around talking. And as it often happens, the, the, the topic shifts to mental health. It's just, it's just the reality. It shifts to mental health, and it's an energetic conversation that we're having. And then one of the guys says, hey, yo, yo. He said, I want to tell you something. Last, last, uh, last year, winter semester, man, he said, I, I went into a bout of depression. I said, no. You? Yeah, me. I said, but look at you now. How'd you get out of it? He said, somebody. God sent somebody into my life. And he pointed, true story, he pointed across the circle at a guy sitting where I'm sitting. And he said, he, he did it. I said, you're talking about your roommate? He said, yeah. I said, what'd he do? He just prayed with me. He prayed with me at night. He just kept praying for me. And I'm here because of him. I said to myself, wow, this Generation Z not only knows about mental health crises, it also knows about mental health solutions. He really got that right. And then we fell back into the conversation about mental health. And another kid, I'm telling you the truth, another university guy said, yo, what's up with you? He said, my friend, not just last winter, my friend last year, Went into a huge and dark dive. He didn't think he was going to make it. I said, well, what'd you do for him? He said, I knew I had to do something. So I said to him, look, I know what you're going through. Here's the deal. I want you to meet me every day, and I'm going to meet you every day at the end of the day, and I'm going to ask you one question, and you be ready for the answer. Look back over today and tell me one good thing that happened to you every day. This guy and his buddy met at the end of the day. They're not even roommates. They met at the end of the day, and he asked that one question. What one good thing happened to you today? And do you know what? <laughs> because that friend was traveling beside his friend in darkness, that friend in darkness eventually reached the light. Amen. Hallelujah. And I think to myself with that second story, I said, wow, this Generation Z. They not, only, they not only know that they have a mental health crisis going on, but they have found a huge solution. It's really kind of crazy when you think about it. You take this generational spread, okay? Here's the human race right now. This is the human race. Those incoming, okay? Massive mental health crisis, they're saying, over depression. And what's so weird is the incoming generation is matched by the outgoing generation. Gen Z's matched by baby boomers plus. They have their own huge mental health crisis going on. Over here, it's called depression. Over here, it's called dementia. 
and it's going on just as real on both sides. And I'm thinking to myself, that is a huge felt need in this little university parish. And we can't go on without dealing with this extremely sensitive subject. And I'm, I, I'm really nervous about this because I'm, I'm probably going I'm, I'm to blow it in some people's minds and I'll make a mistake and say the wrong thing. Please know that it comes from a heart that, that loves this parish and I'm on the same spectrum and I'm closer down here. And I know it. So let's do this. If you're okay with this, we'll deal with both ends of the spectrum and everybody in between will we'll get dealt with. But we'll do it this way. Let's deal with the bad news first, all right? I'm the kind of guy, if you say good news, bad news, give me the bad first. I just want the bad. Just get it out of the way. Then, then tell me the good. So we'll do the same, okay? Okay, bad news for Generation Z. Generation Z is born between 1995 and 2006, between 13 and 24 years of age. Most of our college students, right there. Huge mental health crisis going on. The American Psychological Association just this last year came out with a report. I've got the title of the report right here. It's called the APA Stress in America Generation Z Survey. Here are some important statistics. Let me run these by you. This is bad news. I understand it. We'll, we'll, we'll get over it. Okay, here's, here are the opening words to that APA report. Let's put them on the screen. All right? Headline issues. It's talking about the news, Okay. Gen Z's big on news. Headline issues such as immigration, such as sexual assault, are causing significant stress among members of Generation Z, those between ages 15 and 21. They really really push the borders in for their particular survey. With mass shootings, talking about headlines, with mass shootings topping the list of stressful current events, according to the APA report, Stress in America, Generation Z, released in October. Now, here come the stats, all right? Stats are on the screen. And by the way, don't write these down because you have a study guide and everything's in there. We'll get to the fill in the blanks a few moments from now. But here's the APA stats. This generation is significantly more likely, 27%, than other generations, including millennials, 15%, and Gen Zers, 13%, to report their mental health as fair or poor, the survey found. They are also more likely, 37%, along with the millennials, 35%, to report that they have received treatment or therapy from a mental health professional compared with 26% of Gen Xers, 22% of baby boomers, and 15% of older adults. Did you get that number? About one in three of this generation describe their mental health as fair to poor. In fact, university freshmen across this nation, higher than any entering, entering class in the history of universities, are, are indicating on, this sur- on university surveys, I have mental health issues. Now listen, folks. Come on, come on, come on. I understand it's very easy for me to stand up front and throw, th- toss around a few numbers. But behind these numbers are very real people who attend this university and who worship in this university church. We're not dealing with some sort of, some, some sort of mental health theory. We're dealing with an existential crisis that's going on at this end of the entry to the human race. APA on the screen again. More than 9 in 10 Gen Z adults, so these would be the 20-somethings, more than 9 in 10 Gen Z adults 
91%, said they have experienced at least one physical or emotional symptom because of stress, such as feelings depressed or sad, 58%, or lacking interest, motivation, or energy, 55%. Only half of all Gen Zs feel like they do enough to manage their stress, end quote. We got a mental health crisis going on in the whole nation. Is there any help? Is there any hope? Are you kidding? We wouldn't be in this. If there were no help and no hope, I would stay away from the subject. With a, I'd keep it away with a 10-foot pole. Of course there's help. That's the bad news down here. Let's, let's deal with the bad news up here, okay? Make sure that everybody gets bad news today. Okay, let's go to the Alzheimer's Association. Now, remember, down here on the uh, generational spectrum, it's depression. Down here on the generational scale, dementia. Losing my mind. The Alzheimer's Association. Most recent report. 5.6 million Americans suffer from Alzheimer's dementia right now. Right now. In fact, put this on the screen. By 2025, the number of people aged 65 and older with Alzheimer's dementia is projected to reach 7.1 million Americans, almost a 27% increase from the 5.6 million aged 65 and older today. Wow. And then, by the way, by 2050, listen to this, the number of people aged 65 and older with Alzheimer's dementia may grow to a projected 13.8 million Americans. We're talking, about, we're talking about a mental health crisis on both ends of this spectrum, folks. How could we possibly ignore this? In a book that my friends Dwayne and Lori Kovrig gave me the other day, title of the book, The Alzheimer's Solution, a breakthrough program to prevent and reverse the symptoms of cognitive decline at every age, written by a husband and wife team. They're both MDs, Dean and Ayesha Serzai. They are the co-directors of the Brain Health and Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University. From that book that I'm reading, I'm reading three books on Alzheimer's. I read three books on Gen Z's. Now, these words on the screen from the, from the uh, husband and wife team. While every chronic disease you can think of is in decline, deaths due to Alzheimer's have increased nearly 87% in the last decade. The next decade could be even worse. 10% of people over the age of 65 will develop some form of dementia. And people over the age of 85 have a 50% chance of developing the disease. Alzheimer's may, in fact be America's third most deadly disease behind only heart disease and cancer. And now comes this sentence. The question is no longer if we will develop the disease, but when. Well, have a nice day, you too. I mean, please. Does that have to ruin our day? It's not a question of when. No, no, it is a question of when. I'm losing it in front of you. This is bad. Man, you like to do this privately where nobody sees it coming. <laughs> oh, it's not a question of if. It's a question of when this is going to happen to me. Mercy, mercy. Depression at this end. Dementia at this end. Is there any good news for any of us somewhere along this strip called the generation? Yeah, there's great news. 
And the great news is how God is interfacing with us in this. And this is going to blow you out of the water when you see this. Now you pull your study guide out. Now you pull it out. Because I'm going to share three parts of good news. Three good news parts. Are you ready for these? You don't have a study guide? Hold your hand up. Here come these friendly ushers your way. You've got to have this. There are three parts of good news. You can get the bad news. It's all there, but we're not even filling in those blanks. Here comes the good news now. Hold your hand up in the balcony. Hold your hand up down here. Those of you watching on TV, we put it on the screen. You see it there. There's our website www.newperceptions.tv What's this about? A DIY, Gen Zers know, a do-it-yourself guide to better mental health, saving your sanity. Saving your sanity. Is there any good news in that, Dwight? You bet there is. You, click on, you go to that website, click onto that title. You'll have the same study guide. All these facts and now three parts of good news. Here comes part number one, good news. Jot it down. Our depression, Jesus knows. All right? Our depression, Jesus knows. Isaiah 53. This is, Karen and I were just repeating this, trying to repeat it by memory last night in our worship. Isaiah 53. It's the great messianic prophecy of the Old Testament. Verse 4. Put it on the screen for us, please. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he, this would be the Messiah. This would be Christ. Surely he took up our, what's the next word? He took up our what? He took up our pain. Okay? He took up our pain. Just get that in your brain. He took up our pain. And keep reading. And he bore our what? He bore our suffering. He is not, he is not septically removed from the human race. He is in the thick of it. He took up our pain. And depression is nothing but pain. We struggle through that pain. We struggle for the darkness to somehow be relieved. And it doesn't seem to ever leave us. He took up our pain. Oh, he wasn't depressed. Oh, yes, he was, and I'm going to prove it to you. In fact, do you know what? God knew depression was coming to the human race. And so one of the Psalms, oh, it is so down. It is so depressive that you just got to kind of take a deep breath before you begin reading it. It's Psalm 88. Psalm 88. Don't read it now. I'm going to give you three verses, one at the beginning, one in the middle, and one at the end. It's filled with depressive language. Watch this. So put it on the screen, please. Psalm 88, verse 1. Lord, you are the God who saves me. That's the only positive line in the entire psalm. You just saw it. That's it. It's all downhill from here. You are the God who saves me. I acknowledge that. But day and night, I cry out to you. This is depressive language. I am crying to you. Obviously, you're not hearing me. Go to the middle of this. Go to the middle. Go to verse, uh, verse, verse 14. Lord, why? Why do you reject me? Oh, that's depressive language. I've been rejected. People are staying away from me. Why do you reject me? Keep reading. Why do you reject me and hide your face from me? It's the language of depression. You, here's the last line of the whole prayer. You have taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. You've got to be a baby boomer to know that one. <laughs> Isn't that something? The song ends with, the only thing I can talk to is darkness, because that's depression. Everything is dark. The, the, uh, the great uh, commentator on the Psalms, Derek Kidner, he writes, you got this in your study guide, uh, speaking of this psalm, there is no sadder prayer in the Psalter. That's 150 psalms with its witness to the possibility of unrelieved suffering as a be believer's earthly lot. 
end quote. Some of us believe that if you come to Jesus, this kind of health and wealth gospel that's going on out there and people are loving it. If you come to Jesus, you'll never get depressed. If you come to Jesus, you will never suffer. If you come to Jesus, there'll be no pain in your life. You're going to buy your way out of it. You're going to be on top of the world. That is so wrong. It just makes you sick. No, you can be a close friend of Jesus. In fact, you can be Jesus and be depressed. Let me show you this. This is amazing. Talking about depression, do you feel it now? Psalm 22, you'll recognize the opening words. David wrote the words, and it's David's prayer, but there's only one being in the universe that this psalm could truly be prayed authentically by, and that's the Lord Jesus. Psalm 22 begins with the words, my God, how's it go? My God, why have you what? This is depressive language all the way, halfway through, about two-thirds of the way through, and then it switches. There are scholars who believe that Jesus was actually praying this entire psalm. In fact, between services, someone came to me and they said, hey, listen, you know, you know Jacob Milgram, the great Hebrew scholar out in um, uh, California, Berkeley. He told Roy Gain this. You know what's happening here with Jesus on the cross? Jesus, by quoting the first line of Psalm 22, is telling everybody nearby, listen, you want to understand about life? Read the entire psalm. Just read the psalm. Scholars also believe that Jesus prays the rest of the psalm under his breath. Is Jesus depressed on the cross? Well, you've got depressive language in this opening line. Keep reading. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries, depressive language, and anguish, depressive language. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. I find no rest. Depression has set in. He is in the grip of it. Go down to verse 6. I am a worm and not a man. When you're in the grip of darkness, you feel zero worth. You're like a worm. I'm nobody. Nobody cares. God doesn't care. My family doesn't care. My friends don't care. I'm all alone. And too many people say, I'm out of here. Don't you ever go out of here. There's somebody in this universe that has been where you are. And he will never leave you or forsake you. He knows exactly what's happening to you. He got a mainline full concentration in just hours. And by the way, he was depressed in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is Calvary. Watch this, the Garden of Gethsemane. I told you I'd prove this to you. The book of Desire of Ages. I bet you never saw this before. Desire of Ages on the screen. The night before Calvary in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ's agony did not cease, but his, what's the next word? But his what? But his depression and discouragement left him. He was depressed. He'll be depressed again tomorrow on the cross, clearly. Psalm 22 is a dead giveaway. But the discouragement, the depression left him. The storm had in no wise abated. It's not gone, but he who was its object was strengthened to meet its fury. He came forth calm and serene. A heavenly peace rested on his blood-stained face in Gethsemane. He had borne that which no human being could ever bear. He had tasted the sufferings of death for every man, woman, and child. He tasted it in Gethsemane. Depression, he tasted it. It'll be worse tomorrow, Jesus our depression. What did we just write down? Jesus knows it. Yes, he does. What about our dementia? Does he know that too? You'll be surprised. Watch this. Write it down. Good news part two. Our dementia. Jesus cares. 
Consider these words of Jesus to Peter. The last words Jesus will ever speak to Peter, they are these. John 21, verse 18. Very truly I tell you, amen, amen. That's what it is in the Greek. And so it's something very significant being said here. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But I'm telling you, Peter, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and someone else will lead you where you do not want to go. Ladies and gentlemen, that is classic end life dementia. They're telling me I should be eating this. Come on, Daddy. Open your mouth. Eat this. This is good for you. Yum, 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 yum. Why are you treating him like a kid? End of life dementia. They're going to dress you. You can't dress yourself. You don't even know how to put on your socks anymore. You can't decide, today I want to go here and tonight I want to go there. You can't make any decisions, buddy. We make the decisions here. Your, your family's paying good money for you to be here. Dementia. Jesus is describing dementia, though he's, de- he's actually telling Peter how he's going to die on a cross. Don't tell me Jesus doesn't know about dementia. What is dementia? I like how Dr. Wes Youngberg, a lifestyle medicine specialist, puts it in his fascinating new book, Memory Makeover, How to Prevent Alzheimer's and Reverse Cognitive Decline in the Natural Way. Now, Wes's dad, John Youngberg, is a member of this parish. And by the way, there's a bulletin insert in your bulletin today. If you want to get more of where Wes Youngberg is coming from, just take a look at that insert. But let's put Youngberg on the screen. I know, Wes. I tend to think of dementia as a temporary. I like that. He didn't put permanent. He said, I tend to think of it as a temporary cognitive impairment associated with recent exposures to one or more dementogens. Well, what are dementogens? Dementogens are substances linked to dementia. They cause dementia. So he says, I like to think of it as a temporary cognitive impairment. One or more dementogens that collectively cross a threshold level leading to decreased functionality in judgment, communication, organization, and the normal functions of daily living. That's what dementia is. And not a baby boomer alive is looking forward to that. We don't want that. Now I'm hitting the pause button. Time out, time out, time out, time out. I'm hitting the pause button right here. This is going to feel like it was totally inserted. Guess what? It was. I have nowhere else to use this. So I'm using it right now with you. Because listen to this very carefully. If you're down here, listen to this very carefully. Because I'm going to now insert a dementogen, this substance linked to dementia, that you are going to have to seriously consider eliminating from your diet now. This is out of the blue, but I got inserted. I'm going to go back to Drs. Dean and Ayesha Shirzai. They call it the poison of the 21st century. The poison. What are you talking about, Dwight? I'm talking about bad news. Here it comes. If we had to name, they write, if we had to name a single food that plays the biggest role in the development and progression of Alzheimer's, it would be sugar. I'm so sad to have to announce that. It breaks my heart. For me, not for you. It would have to be sugar. Keep reading. Sugar is one of the most destructive compounds we can ingest, and we are consuming more of it now than at any other point in in human history. In 1900, Americans consumed five pounds of sugar a year per American. 
Guess what? In 2010, Americans consumed 190 pounds of sugar per American. Per American. We have been weaned on sugar and we didn't know it. Mercy. It's everywhere. By the way, let me put these words because the, 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 the food industry has pulled a big one on us. I'm just going to tell you the truth. You want to talk about justice. They don't want us to see sugar on the labels anymore because they, they know we're getting smart on this sugar thing. Watch this. On the screen from the same book. Sugar is the foundation of the standard American diet disguised as high fructose, corn syrup, crystal dextrose, sucrose, and many other scientific sounding names. It's all sugar. It's all sugar. But they don't want us to know it's sugar. You know why? Because it keeps us going back to buy that stuff. The, the fast food, junk food, it's all sugar. They don't want us to know it. And now we're reaping. We sowed the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind with this generation and dementia. Early onset dementia. Now coming to a neighborhood near you. My, 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 my. It's everywhere. Did I say that? Pasta? No, come on, Dwight. Italiano? No, pasta. Pasta sauce, yogurt, salad dressing, granola bars, coleslaw, potato salad. My favorite, because some of you have a wonderful recipe where you just put it just a little. It's not that much sugar, Dwight. Dwight. <laughs> potato salad, pizza, even ketchup. I've gone crazy. I'm, check- I'm driving Karen crazy because I'm checking every label that she brings home. Hey, 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 yo, yo. Yo, did you see this? <laughs> oh, my. But you know what? We laugh it off. Someday you'll thank me. You're going to have to start checking those labors- labels. That's the point, guys. You have to check at what it is you're eating. Evidence are so great. I don't eat meat. But I hog off. I hog up on cheese and sugar. Two killers. We should have stuck to smoking and meat. <laughs> Breakfast cereals. Do you know what you're feeding your kids? <laughs> have you ever looked at one of those boxes with a little panel on the side? Sugar. Unbelievable. Is it, there's no need to even say a word about ice cream and candy and fudge and chocolate chip cookies and desserts of every delectable color and taste. We are addicted to sugar. I'm sorry to ruin your day, but it's true. We're addicted to it. But here's the great, very good news, good news, good news. We can become unaddicted to sugar. You just quit eating it. You will lose your taste for sugar. That's what they're telling me. <laughs> you, you will lose your taste for sugar. You got to hang in there. Can I talk to Jesus about it? You sure may. In fact, I'd recommend you talk to Jesus, just heart to heart, you and Jesus, and have a real conversation about I need, I need strength because this is killing me. Guys, what's good for you? He wants is there sugar and fruit? Of course. It's natural sugar. It's the refined sugar that's killing us. Killing us. There's another book. I've got to tell you about it. It's written by D- Dr. Dale Bredesen. 
Well, a great title. Listen to this. The End of Alzheimer's, the first program to prevent and reverse cognitive decline, who, by the way, he endorses Youngberg's book. So I have three books. This guy endorses uh, Wes's book. He, too, warns. Wes has a, a chapter in his book called Sugarholic, okay? But here is uh, Bredesen. Bredesen, sorry. On the screen, chronic inflammation. The brackets are mine. This is the body's response to what it perceives is an attack, all right? So it inflames. Chronic inflammation can arise when we regularly ingest inflammation-triggering foods such as sugar. Sugar is like fire, a source of energy but very dangerous. Our bodies recognize sugar as poisonous and therefore rapidly activate multiple mechanisms to reduce its concentration in our blood tissues. Do you know that they are now calling Alzheimer's disease diabetes 3? Everybody here, there are people here who have diabetes 1. There are people here who have diabetes 2. They're now calling Alzheimer's number 3 because it behaves the same way. Sugar, heavy sugar intake into the system. And when you have, when you have heavy sugar intake, the body goes immediately into action producing insulin because it has to counteract what you're doing. There's an enzyme that uh, helps break down this insulin, and it's called IDE, insulin-degrading enzy- enzyme. So the moment that sugar comes in and, the, and, and the, when we get this insulin spike, IDE goes to work and says, I can handle this, I can handle this. And begins to immediately start working. Break it down, break it down, break it down. Too much, too much in the blood. Too much, too much, too much. But the problem is, now this is, this is the killer. IDE is also critical in the destruction of amyloid plaque. Amyloid plaque is what's produced in the brain that causes Alzheimer's. IDE works on amyloid plaque and insulin. But if, if, it's, if you've got this big sugar high going all day long, IDE is over here. It's like having a fire in North Berrien Springs in the whole fire department. And then we get, a, we get a fire in South Berrien Springs. We've got a fire going over here. That's too bad. We've got to stay with this. We can't go. IDE has to divide its energies now. Because of the high sugar intake. And so amyloid plaque just quietly gets, gets produced, leading to dementia and disease. We've, we've totally thrown the system by our addiction to sugar. And the body says, what are we supposed to do now? Three books, all of them unequivocal in the warning against sugar. And if you're serious about mental health, and the avoidance of dementia, you have to seriously consider how to reduce refined sugar from your diet, period. Now, look, if you like somebody that really knows what they're talking about to stand in front of us, somebody that knows sugar and nutrition and a healthy lifestyle, if you'd be interested in that, on our Connect card, you'll have a chance to put a little check mark there. And if I get enough check marks, then I'm going to say, hey, we got to have somebody come in. There's a real interest here, all right? Does Jesus care about our dementia? Of course he does. Whether our diet caused our dementia, our genes caused it, nature caused it, he cares about our dementia. But Jesus cannot do what only you and I can do. He can't remove sugar from your table. He can't remove sugar from your cupboard. He can't remove sugar from your desserts. He can't remove sugar from your fast food breaks. He just can't remove the sugar. You go there, you want it, you get it. We got to help Jesus. We have to help him. Does that make sense? Our depression, our dementia, but here comes good news, part three. I'm telling you, this is really good news now because we have, what do we have? Our depression, Jesus knows. Our dementia, Jesus cares. And now finally, jot it down. Our dependence, Jesus invites. That's what he's asking. So come on. 
I want you to depend on me. Whether you're a Gen Z or a millennial, Gen X or baby boomer, plus all the way down. The most profound secret to mental health is found in the seven-word credo that Jesus himself lived by. Let's put it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 2.13. Read it out loud with me. I will put my trust in him. Seven words. You can trust me, Jesus says, with your depression. You can trust me with your dementia. You can trust me. I'm not going anywhere. I will be with you through it all. The classic ministry of healing on the screen. This is great. Oh, my. If in our ignorance we make missteps. Oh, mercy, Lord. We've made missteps. We didn't know. We didn't know. Nobody told us. If in our ignorance we make missteps and mistakes, the Savior does not forsake us. Hallelujah. We need never feel that we are alone. Praise God. Angels are our companions. God be praised. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to send in His name abides with us. And here comes a line you never saw before. Those who suffer most have most of Jesus' sympathy. I want you to circle that in your little uh, study guide because you didn't have to fill it in. Those who suffer most receive most of Jesus' pity and sympathy. Isn't that amazing? Some of you are going through a dark depression right now. You're not, even, you're not even outside of your house. You're not even outside of your dorm room. You're just watching this because you don't like showing up around people because everybody else seems happy. Nobody understands the darkness you live under. I want you to know there is somebody who understands, who himself was depressed, and who says to you, I don't care what's happening to you, girl. I don't care what's happening to you, boy. I'm with you. I'll get you through this. I will. I promise you, I'll get you through this. Most of his sympathy goes who suffer most. Isn't that great? Most of it goes to those who suffer most. That may be you today, my friend. Those who suffer most have most of his sympathy and pity. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities and he desires us to lay our perplexities and troubles at his feet and to leave them there. I will put my trust in him. Dependence. Ah, that's the good news. That means you can put your trust, you you can depend upon one person who, by the way, has a lot of friends working for him. I went over to the counseling and uh, testing center this last week, and they gave me a little tour. It's beautiful. A nice lounge and music. And, ah, there, Jesus has friends here who specialize in darkness. And if darkness is in your heart right now, these friends can take that dark, help that darkness to, to go away. The counseling testing center is for uh, students at Andrews University. But down the same hallway, there's an adult counseling center for those in the community. You can come in. And by the way, did you love those two stories about the guy that prayed for his roommate? Just kept praying for him. And he prayed him right through that depression. Look, when somebody's beside me, I can go, I can go through pretty much anything. That boy who said, I'm going to meet you every day at the end of the day. Do you understand that? I'm going to ask you one question. What good thing happened to you today? Tell me. And that friend of his came out of that darkness Jesus has been to that darkness. I want to end with this. Harvard University. Phil Pianzi tells about a study published in the American Journal of Psychiatry on Harvard undergraduates, okay? 
students who experienced a religious conversion in their student days. They found Jesus while they were at Harvard and they did a study of these. Now watch this. The students had a, I'm quoting now, a radical change in lifestyle shown by a marked decrease in the use of drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. Just dropped off when they met Jesus. (laughs) Number two, these same students not only had that marked decrease, but their academic performance, guess what? Academic performance goes up. You meet Jesus, their academic performance improved. And number three, this is the line we're all looking for. And number three, they seemed less prone to depression, preoccupation with death, and bouts of existential despair. In other words, mental health got turned around when they came to Jesus. I'm inviting you, my friend, whether you're a student at Andrews University or not, to come to Jesus. This same Jesus can heal you of your mental health issues. You think there's nobody that cares for you. You think there's nobody that understands you. Jesus knows what you're going through. You just come to him. He will step into your life if you give him permission. And he'll begin the healing process. I'm telling you, there's nothing you can do that would be more effective and powerful than to invite the one who himself drank the cup of depression to its bitter dregs to become your companion. Invite Jesus into your life. You're watching right now on a, on a screen somewhere. Invite Jesus into your life. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, look, I can't get myself out of this darkness. I cannot get out. They're, they've locked the door. I can't leave this dark room. You ask Jesus, that lock is gone. There'll be somebody with you. Oh, it may take him a while. Don't ask him to do other than he knows best to do. But he will take care of you. I promise you. He will take care of you. No depression. No dementia. There's no depression or dementia that can take you away from him or that can take him away from you. And I end on that very good news. What do you say? Come on. There's no better news than that. Don't give up. Whatever you do, don't quit. You're going to win. Jesus will win through you. Take out your, your uh, connect card, please. It's at the bottom of that, that study guide. For those of you that are with us today, not used to this, fill out the front of the card. Pastor Jose has already taken us through that. I want you to go to the back of the card. My next step today is four little boxes. Box number one, for better mental health, I will put my trust in Jesus daily. Don't worry about the people moving around. They're going to receive these cards from you in just one split second, all right? So let them be. Number one, for better mental health, I will put my trust in Jesus daily. We can all put a check mark there, please, all of us. Box number two, I would like to talk to a pastor about accepting Jesus as my Savior because if you're true, if you're right, Dwight, if you're right about this Jesus coming into my life and like it did with Harvard University undergrads, he can do it with me. He can turn my life around, mental health issues. I want to I want, I want try this Jesus. You put a check mark there and put a phone number on the other side. We will be in touch with you directly. All right? You put a check mark there and a phone number on the other side. You don't put a phone number. We'll pray for you. Box number three, I would attend a lecture or lectures by a specialist on nutrition, sugar, and optimal health. If you're interested in that, just put a check mark there. You're not committing yourself to anything. You're not buying anything. I just want to know, is there an interest in our parish? And finally, box number four, I want to explore a DIY, do-it-yourself guide to better sexual health, taming your tiger next week. 
So we jumped from the fire out of the pan into the fire. But we might as well face it. These are issues we face as a generation now. Let's deal with them. You don't have anything to be afraid of. There's nothing that's going to be taken away from you, but that will be for your very best. Oh, God, we have talked it to our souls while we were praying to you. In this day when change and tears are past, and we'll be home at last. Oh, God. You'll never give up on us. My humble prayer on behalf of this parish is, let us never give up on you. You're the healing, Jesus. We've always needed. You always will be. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.